a dramatic impact in your life. Um, it was interesting, if you've noticed at the back, we've got a, an array of books. Um, they used to be in a cupboard that you could have taken, but since the cafe, they got put in a different cupboard, which was out here, so no one ever saw them. So rather than gathering dusts even more, we thought, you know, we'll put them out there, um, and then you can take them. Because they're, be they're better in your home being read than they are in a cupboard doing nothing. And so there are some books at the back, and as I was looking through, there was a couple of books that stood out to me, that, and these are books, so I've got them here, so they're, they're available, so if you want them, you can have them. Um, but these are books that actually changed, well, it's hard to say changed my life, but you know, had such major impact on my life, transitional times. One is this book, it's called The Grace Awakening, by, uh, I feel like one of those authors who's like, and you can buy my book after the, no, I didn't write, they're free. It's Grace Awakening by Charles Swindoll. And I read this when I was at Bible school, which was 20 years ago, a long time ago now. Um, and yeah, it really impacted me. Actually, one of the greatest things um, I learned when I went to Bible school, um, I'm sure the lecturers would be great to hear this, but one of the greatest things I learned was about how to relate to Christians who are different to you. Because we, I was in a place where I was with people who are from all different walks of life, um, different kind of streams of Christianity and there were some really different views and all these kind of things but equally there was a heart for God and it, it taught me how to kind of get over some things and really see and, and to be one in Christ and, and this book was a, a big part of that as well really kind of understanding God's fullness of grace so that's there anyone want this one? okay you can have it later the second book, um, I think I probably read it about seven years ago, eight years ago now, and it's a book called Radical. I don't know, has anyone read this book? Oh, I can understand why, because if you had, you'd be like, wow. This is a book, and, and I read this, and it just, again, really ministered to me. It's a guy, by a guy called David Platt, not the footballer, um, a different one, and... He's a pastor in America, and it just was such an encouraging, challenging book about how we are called to live our lives for God. Now, we know that, but it's kind of, in a sense, the, the title Radical says it, because it's uh, actually, we need to be radical. But then I was thinking, it, it reminded me of another book, and you might have read this one, called, by Watchman Nee, called The Normal Christian Life. And in a sense, when we might say radical, it's the normal Christian life because we are called to be radically different. And, and part of this book was about um, the call to go. And if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Matthew 28, it's a, again, we've heard this just even last week, but it's worth repeating because this is a verse that God wants to just imprint upon our hearts, I believe. And so obviously this is a time after the resurrection when Jesus gathers the disciples and in verse 18 he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so what we have 
from God is a call to go. In the beginning of verse 19, it's very clear. Go, therefore, or if you want to put it the other way, therefore, go. Because of what Christ has done, there's a call on our, our lives to go. And this is what this book was really embedding upon me. And it was interesting when I read this book, um, I, I'd never, I, actually, I went on a mission trip when I was 18. I went to Zimbabwe with Jim and Margaret. Uh, we went to Amoeba and we built uh, buildings and we traveled into villages and preached the gospel. And that was when I was 18. And there had been quite a big gap in between that. And, and God just put it on my heart that it's like, this isn't an option for you. This isn't kind of a take it or leave it. Um, he, if you look at this scripture, he says, because of what I've done, go and make disciples. And I always love the bit, it says, teaching them to observe all that I've told you. Now, he's just taught them something, which is go. And so if you're going, then you've got to teach to go. And you teach to go, and you teach to go. There's a repetitive motion there in Christ's teaching that is for everyone, not just for these disciples. Because even then, the disciples got a bit settled at some point, and then, then Jesus kicked them out of Jerusalem, and they then dispersed and went further and further. And so there was this call to go. And it's a call for everyone. And so this slide, I'm kind of integrating things from India into this talk. So this slide is um, kind of the guys who I was with this year when we went to India with, so obviously I went, I'm not in the photo. Um, Patrick and Joel, they're the two bookends um, in this picture. We're sitting on a bike. Um, and they're from River Church over in Alpington. And Piel, who is the pastor in India uh, that we go with and travel with, and he does all the interpretation, all that kind of stuff. And, and so we were, again, in that sense, we're all responding on this call to go. Um, and it's interesting, I think, that the role of missions has changed. Um, and a, a, there are a few things that have changed the role of missions in the modern world. One is that people have come here. Now, maybe 30, 40 years ago, I wasn't, actually, I was alive. Um, <laughs> 50 years ago, let's go that far. I wasn't alive then. But a while back, you know, society was very different. We look even around us now, there's a lot more multicultural uh, amongst us, even in this church, in Eltham. There's nations, there's languages, there's different people representative, represented that probably would not have been the case 50 years ago, 60 years ago. And so therefore, and also uh, 50, 60 years ago, we would have classified this as a Christian nation, whether it was or wasn't, is neither here nor there, but we would have looked around and there was an understanding of Christianity. I know even when I was at school, um, we sang hymns, we had Christian assemblies, um, and all that was part and parcel, and we said the Lord's Prayer. And so even going through non, I wasn't in a Christian school, but we learned the Lord's Prayer. Um, now, my kids go to a Christian school, so they still learn that, but most schools probably today do not learn that sort of thing. There is not a Christian foundation, and we see this outworked in our government, etc. I'm not going to get into that, but, you know, we see this outworked in our society. And so previously, we had a very Christianized society um, of people who were generally very similar. And so the idea of missions was always then to go somewhere. And so you, you read these great biographies. I'm sure if you look through the books at the back, there's probably some great biographies of people 
who up sticks and went. And they went to places like China, to Africa, um, America, if you go far back enough. You know, there's all these different people who would go and get, sell all and go and serve the Lord in mission. And it's interesting that the change of mission, another change of mission is how you go. Because it's wonderful, you know, we went, so I've been to India, um, and we flew on Emirates, and it was very nice. You get the nice Airbus 380, it's my favourite plane, and you go quite in comfort, you've got a nice TV you can watch, and, and you go, and you're there in less than 24 hours, depends how long you have to stay in Dubai. Um, so you get there in less than 24 hours. And it's funny, to it, sometimes it messes with you a bit because you're there suddenly in some remote place in India and you think, wait a minute, 24 hours ago, I was going through London on the tube or something like that. Now, years and years ago, they would get a boat and they would travel for three months. Some people would die um, to get to their location. And so going wasn't as easy. But we can go very simply and it was even interesting this time when I went, um, when we got there, Piel said, I've got a dongle for you. And he gave us a dongle, which meant we had internet wherever we went. Um, it was a bit sketchy at times, but we were allowed for that. You know, but you're in these remote places, and it's like, I've got Wi-Fi. And you think, wow, how does that change how we do things? There was at one point, I was standing in a village, um, and I was making a 360 video. Three th some of you, I don't know what that is, but it's basically so you can look at something through VR goggles and feel like you're there. And you think, wow, that's different. And you, can, you could be able to Skype or do something like that. You can send immediate prayer requests saying, we're about to go into a meeting, please pray for us. And all these kind of things. And you think, that was never possible. And so just the dynamic of missions has changed. That for one thing, people are here, so we don't always have to go because mission is on our doorstep. As we just heard, Russian speakers in Elton, in Sikup, wherever it might be, who are right here, who need the gospel. But then there is also the call, and I love it where Jesus says, you know, we go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's mission everywhere that we're called to go. And so this call of the Great Commission is for everyone, but in different ways, and I think that's unique. That, And so when we're thinking about missions, we're also thinking strategically, because how can I, I multiply? How can I do this in a way? Because sometimes in mission trips, people go, and it's more about them than it is what they're doing. And we can go and we can say, I've gone and built a house, when it might have been better to actually pay the people in that community to build a house and train them up, or something like that. And so... When we're going on missions, we are always thinking about, well, why am I going? What's it for? So we do this. The other part of what we do, we go into the villages. Um, and this is a bit, it's, that's not really my bag. You know, it's, I struggle with this bit a bit more um, because it's more evan evangelistic. And it's like, you know, I can do it. But so, for some people, that suits them better. And I think when we're thinking about mission, and I think we were even encouraged really, last week when we were thinking about this. It's thinking about what's my role? Because you don't have to be good at everything. 
And some people are gifted in one area and some people are gifted in another area. And it's saying, okay, God, where's my role? Where can I be fruitful? Where can I serve? And sometimes we just serve because that's where you need to serve. We're not standing, I'm not standing in the village going, well, it's not my role, really. I, I'm not really gifted in this way. It's like if they call you to do something, you do it. If they call you to dance, you dance. If they call you to sing, you sing. Although with Patrick and Joel, it's better if they didn't sing. Um, but, you know, you just do what you're called to do. But ultimately, you're thinking, God, where do you want me? Where can I be fruitful in what I'm doing? And so when we're thinking about mission, it's not saying I have to do everything, but it's saying, God, where do you want me? And how can I serve you? How can I serve your mission? And this is where it's a wonderful thing that as a church, yeah, I went to India, but you were part of it. And some of you were very generous and gave to equip that and be part of that and to serve these pastors, make things possible, and you were part of that. Some of you were praying for us. And, and it's wonderful to know that you've, it's not just me out on my own doing this. I'll get into later how it might be more of us another time. But it's great to go and be part of that. Um, so God used many different giftings in different ways. It's interesting when we think about going places that one of the things we often think about is the obstacles that are in place. I can't do this because of this. And we very much focus on obstacles. And for me, the first time I ever went, and a bit of my kind of backstory, sounds elaborate, doesn't it, my backstory? Sounds like a superhero. Um, but when I read this book seven or eight years ago, I was convicted. I was like, you know what, I've got to go. And I went to Mary, because Mary was involved in Vision for Asia. And just so you know, little plug, there's a Vision for Asia new newsletter at the back. And Mary was involved in Vision for Asia with Peter, and I knew they were part of this, and Mary would sometimes go, and, and I said to Mary, when you go next, maybe I can go with you. And she went, oh, that's, that's really good, Daniel. Um, I'm not going for a while, but there's a team that's going next month, and you can go with them. And I was like, you know that moment where you're like, I, I, I was kind of dipping my toe, and someone just pushes you. Um, <laughs> You're not quite ready for it. And I was like, okay, okay, why not? And all that moment, you're like, why not? And one of the major obstacles was about, well, I haven't got any money. Um, and I thought, and I went, and also I was thinking, okay, is Louisa up for this? Because, you know, with a month's time, you go back to your wife, I'm going to India in next month, how's that? Um, and so I went to Louisa and shared it, and and she, her response was very positive. And so I thought, that's good. I was a bit, bit apprehensive, you know, but it was positive. But, but her, again, she said, well, what about the money? Because we didn't have any money. And we said, well, you know, it's God's will God will provide. And I went into work. I was working in Barclays at the time, and I was part of a Christian group there. And I shared with the, the group, I'm going. If anyone would like to support me, that would be lovely. Within two hours, I had all the money that I needed. And then I got another gift that was even, you know, added to it and all this. And so now I've been to India six times. God has provided for me to go in six different ways. Every time it's been different. I don't know what it will be next time. Who knows? It was interesting, but God provides. You know, God, is, God will make a way... 
And one of the key things that we need to realize is God is not interested in formulas. God is interested in faith and he's interested in relationship. And that we don't look to a formula to say, well, if I'm going on, going to do something, this is the formula I have to adhere to to do it. But he's saying, will you come close to me and trust me and be obedient to how I might lead you? And so there's been times when I've done a meal, I've done an auction, I've done um, all different kinds of things, and there's times when I've done nothing. And God's saying, will you trust me? And it's interesting, Joel, who came with us, um, he had a different story. So he added a different version of how you get this support um, that was in addition to mine. And then you think, God, how many ways are there? And because one of the things we often think about, you know, there's never a good time. There's never a good time to do something that's outside of our comfort zone. There's never a good time to do something that disrupts our life, that changes our focus, that that causes us to do something different. There's never a good time for these things. There's always something, there's always a reason why you could say, yeah, well, I'll put it off this year and go next year. I'll do it another time. I'm really busy at the moment. I'm really tired. Work is hectic. Family's crazy. You know, if you're waiting for a time when work is not hectic, if you're waiting for a time when family is not crazy, if you're waiting for a time when you've got lots of money in your bank account, you might be waiting quite a long time. And Joel was in this position, and we, we got together, myself, Joel, and Patrick, and we were saying, okay, are we, are we going? Is this our team for this year? And Joel was like, yeah, I really feel God's telling me to go. There's two problems. I haven't got any money, and I've got no annual leave. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I'm not sure how that works. Um, but, and even in my lack of faith, I was like, okay, Joel's not coming. Um, <laughs> And so he just committed it to the Lord. And Joel's story was basically twofold. That um, His mum just phoned him up and said, I hear you're going to India. I want to pay for you. And you know, he was like, really? She'd never done that kind of thing before, but had done it. And then he'd obviously talked to his work, and he'd asked his work if he could take unpaid leave. And his boss, who is a Christian, came in one day and he said, um, I was praying about this, and I want you to take my leave. And so he was willing to take unpaid leave, and his boss said, I, I mean, now HR weren't happy with this. They said, you can't do that kind of thing. He said, well, I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> but you know, God will provide a way where God wants something to happen. And again, we can look at all the obstacles. We can say all these reasons why, but we're going to trust God for it. Amen. I think the other thing when you think about these things is blessing comes through obedience. And when you've got crazy work, crazy family, no money, whatever it might be, all these reasons, when we're obedient to God, we experience the blessing of God. Amen. And so I know that when I go on these things, I trust, entrust my family to the Lord in a way that I think, God, you will do more through me not being here than you would by me being here. And I just entrust them to him. And all these other things... I just say, God, it doesn't make sense. And even as a church, you know, I trust there's a blessing on our church through the obedience of us to fulfill God's great commission. And it's interesting that sometimes we, we sow here, but we reap here. You know, we don't always reap where we sow. 
And that's a spiritual principle. There was one village I was in, and it's a, it's a village called Pagumpti. And um, I was third up to, to speak, and um, I, I had a really powerful word. Really good. It was brilliant. And I was third up to speak. I, it was hot. I think the kids had got a bit restless. Um, and I don't, you lot are well behaved today, but that crowd in front of me, there were, I'm trying to give this, you know, you know the moment you're like, this is so important. This is so life changing. And you think no one's listening. Absolutely, they're all talking, there was all this going on. And I was trying to give this word, and it's hard anyway through an interpreter anyway. And there was a part, I was standing there, I was like, I just want to walk away. I just really want to just go and sit down or let's have lunch. Why are we bothering? But God is doing something. And I put this phrase, can I find one? And if you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 6. And this is the word I was trying to share with them. So hopefully it was good for them, but hopefully it's good for you as well. And, and this is a story of Gideon. Because Gideon was living in a time where Israel was oppressed by the Midianites. And so things were not going well. They were under occupation. There was just, everyone was a bit distraught. Nothing was going well. Um, there were locusts and there was, every, you know, that point in your life where you're like, everything's going really bad. And it says in verse 11, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah. Now, I don't know about you, but has anyone else ever heard of this place called, I don't know, say it, you know. I've never heard of this place. We can't even say this place. Opera. And, and sometimes we can, again, we can think, where am I from? You know, I don't know if you ever thought that. I'm just from Elton. Now, sometimes I say, actually, I'm from Sickup, because Sickup's a little bit posher than Elton, people think. Um, but you think, where am I from? If you go, I, I always love it, where I go and visit places, and people say, oh, what church do you come from? I say, Elton Green Community Church. I'm sure you've never heard of it. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know what they're expecting me to say, some kind of really famous church that, it's like, no, it, you know, we're from a church, it's a nice-sized church, but we're not famous anywhere. And maybe sometimes we feel that, you know, I'm from a nowhere place. And it says, and this, it belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, and Joash was the father of Gideon. If you read a bit further, again, Joash was not the best of guys. I think he had some decent characteristics, but he was worshipping Baal, and he had all these false gods. And, and so again, you've got this, this position where you've got a nowhere place, and you've got this inheritance of a father who's not very good. And then we find our character, Gideon, who was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And so he's just trying to make do. He's just trying to get by and he's, he's so kind of, he's in fear and he's hiding. He's trying to crush wheat in a wine press, which I don't know where you normally crush wheat, but he obviously couldn't do it in the normal way. And he's, he's just kind of keep under the radar. 
So he's in a tough situation. And so you've got someone who's from nowhere particular, from a family of no real repute, in a situation that's full of trouble. And it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valour. I'm sure at that point Gideon went, Who's he talking to? You know? It's like, interestingly enough, he actually says, Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? He's like, now, if you're going to start on this, I'm going to tell you a thing or two, God. I've got a thing or two to tell you about my situation. None of this mighty man of valor stuff. Why, what are you doing? And we can be in a situation, you know, where God is coming and he wants to speak to us. And we, again, we have all these other questions, other things we want to talk to God about. And if you know the story of Gideon, God uses Gideon in amazing ways to save the Israelite nation from the hand of the Midianites, using armies of 300 people to defeat amazingly large armies. And the, the, the thing that God put on my heart for this is, you know, you might sometimes think, who am I? Who am I? But God can use just one. And this was compounded to me because one night we were just talking amongst ourselves in India and I was talking to my, my friend Piel and his story is he came from a village and this village, he always sells this, his mum, his mum no, has no concept of money so she doesn't handle cash. It's trading, it's bartering with I'll give you a fish, I'll give you, I'll do something for you. There's no concept of cash. That's the kind of environment he is. When he... Um, heard the call of God to go, she sold the only thing she had, which was her gold, I think gold earrings or silver earrings, to buy him um, a suit and a box to carry his stuff in. That's, that's kind of the background of his story. And one day in his village, there was a team from OM who came and they shared the gospel. And there was this one boy who said, yes, Lord, I'm going to respond to you. And it, it reminded me, you know, I'm standing in this village preaching to this crowd of restless kids and parents. Everyone's hungry, everyone's hot. But what if one said yes? Now, the interesting thing about my friend Piel, he now leads a network of over 2,000 churches. He didn't have any education really up to that point, just basic stuff. He couldn't speak English or anything like that. Even now, sometimes his English is terrible. Um, but he was obedient to God and he said yes to God. And you know, with Gideon, Gideon could have turned around and said, on your bike, God. But God is looking for one. And we can disqualify ourselves and say, well, you know what, God, don't you know where I'm from? Don't you know my education or lack of it? Don't you know who my parents were, the family I'm part of? Don't you know the oppressive system we're under in this country? But do you believe that God can use one? Do you believe that God can use one of these kids? This was in a village, you know. You look at them and you can think, how? And it's interesting, I was in the news at the moment, there's a lot about unconscious discrimination. 
And there's a danger, you know, we can look at these kids and think, what can they do? But you know, in the hands of God, one person can transform a nation. And the question is, is whether we're going to, whether we're willing to be that one person. Because it, it struck me, you know, what does God see? When he looks at you, what does God see? Does he see all those things? I believe what God sees is the uncorrupted you. Because when God created you before the foundation of the world, when he predestined you, when he prepared good works for you, he wasn't thinking, oh yeah, but they, they, they're going to have those parents. That's going to be pretty difficult for them. They're, they're, they're not going to do their GCSEs. They're not really going to be able to do that. He prepared good works for you based on the, I don't, I don't want to say perfection of your, you know, just, just the uncorrupted nature. Because what he was preparing good works for you for is to say, if you come to me and live according to me, this is what you can do. And nothing can stop that, not where you're from, not who your family you're in, not the education you've had or anything else. I see this for you, and will you step into those things? What do you see? In Colossians, and I taught in Colossians at the, Bible, the pastor's conference, and there's this verse, and we use it often. It's in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 11. It says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And the thing is, though, we can say, well, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other, I can't do this, I can't do that. And he's saying, you know what, when you come into the kingdom of God, those things are done away with. We are without excuse for how we are, how we behave, what we do, what we don't do. You no longer have those excuses to say, well, I'm this or I'm that. He's saying, no, no, no. You're all in Christ and, and Christ is in you and that's what matters now. The labels that you used to apply no longer matter. The question is, are you willing and so I was teaching from the book of Colossians. And there's a, a key verse, well, there's, there's probably loads of key verses, but one particularly I just want to read is at the beginning of chapter three. And it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. What's the first word in that? It says, if, if, if then you have been raised with Christ. Have you been raised with Christ? Because this is the question, because before that it talks about who we are. It says, um, where should we go? You know, God made us alive together with him, having forgiven our debts, our trespasses. You know, he has made us alive in him. He has, we were baptised with him and we were raised with him into newness of life. We were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. All these things happened. And so he's saying, if all this has happened, if then this has happened, seek the things that are above. 
if then this has happened. Because when you come into a different kingdom, you come into a different way. It was very interesting. I was in India. When I was in India, we stopped off at this little stall and we'd been traveling and I was really hungry. And so I just wanted a little chocolate boost, you know. And and I I was buying these, I don't know, they were like weird kind of Twix-like things. They're very nice. And I I said to one of the guys traveling with us, his name's Rono, and I said, oh, do you want one? I was like, he doesn't want one. Do you want one? That meant yes. Because in India, that means yes. I still, (laughs) even when I say yeah, and I was like, or he just was a bit indifferent about it. But he was like, yeah, I want one. But I was in a different place, a different culture, and I had to adapt and transform my thinking to understand that this meant yes. Try and do that. Say, do that and say yes at the same time. It's like rubbing your belly and patting your head. It's like really challenging. You know, but you know, when you come into a different culture and into a new kingdom, you can't be the way you were. I didn't turn around and say, no, Rono, we do this. I was in his culture. And when we come into the kingdom of God, we don't come and say, no, God, will we do this? God says, no, you're in my kingdom. This is how we do it. And he's saying there needs to be a transformation in our thinking. So going back to when I was thinking, how do I go to India? There needs to be a transformation in my thinking. When I think about how do I, what do I do in my life? There has to be a transformation in my thinking. Because I cannot think the way I thought. I have to think differently. And different thinking should lead to different living. Because too often we say, I believe something, and and there's no evidence of that belief in our life. And there's a, a key prayer in the book of Colossians. And so we're having it. I should have done that one before. There's a key prayer, and it says about being filled. And when we would go to the villages, they would fill us with food, often with loads of rice. That was them cooking rice. Um, That's when they're cooking curry. That was a big pot about that big. If you look closely, you can see chicken legs in there. Um, But it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, So from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as, so again, there's an action that follows belief. There's an action that follows understanding. If you have been filled with the Spirit, if you have been filled with the knowledge of his will and understanding, there's an outcome so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. If God has come into your life, there's got to be something different then about you. We need to be filled with him. Now, they were filling us with rice and with chicken and stuff, you know, you'd go and they'd be so generous. Going to people who are so generous because they've got a transformed way of thinking that it's like, you have come and we want to bless you. There's a transformed way of thinking that 
changes how you act. And there's a risk that we just try and merge ourselves into this world and not be too different. But you know, we are called to be a distinct people. I love, I don't know if it's in the King James where it calls us a peculiar people. Are you peculiar? (laughs) Some of you are, for sure. Um, But you know, I remember once I was walking down the street and I thought, I don't feel like I belong. And I was like, brilliant, because I shouldn't feel like I belong in a kingdom that is not my kingdom. I should feel like I belong in God's kingdom. I'm here for a time, for a purpose, and then I go home. This is not my home. We need to be heavenly-minded people. Because what we are full of, that's how we outwork ourselves. So he's saying, if you fill yourself with junk, you will have an outworking of that. If you fill yourself, and I, I feel like I've beat this drum before, so I do apologise. But you know, if, if all you are doing is watching stuff and reading certain things, you know, there's an outworking of that. Even things that are not really sinful, you know. Obviously, we we all know, you know, don't watch the bad stuff because that's obvious. But it's just the other stuff that if you watch it too much, that's what fills your heart. That's what fills your life. And then there's an outworking of that. Whereas when you set your mind on the things that are above, God's purpose, God's will, then the outworking of that is good fruit for his kingdom. We need to be heavenly minded, not worldly minded. And I think there's so many things, you know, it says in the scriptures like, go the extra mile. Are you extra mile thinking? Or are you just enough thinking? Because in the world, the world's way of thinking is, why would I do more than I have to? Why would I do more than I have to? I went for a job interview once and they said, what motivates you to do your job well? I said, it's because I serve God. And he is my master. I think they were a bit kind of, I don't know what to do with that. Um, But because, you know, I'm not doing it because you're looking at me. I'm not doing it for a pay rise. I'm doing it to honour God and to please him. It's heavenly thinking. Are you turn the other cheek thinking? I was at a Christian conference on Friday and I put my bag down because I got there early. I was like, good seat. It was a seat that was kind of central, not too central. Right viewing the, the speaker, no chairs in front of me. Brilliant seat. Went off to get my bacon sandwich. Came back, someone had moved my bag, and they were sitting there. I was like, oh. In a very British way, I didn't say anything, but just went over and took a new seat and stewed for a while, thinking how God might wreak vengeance on them. Um, <laughs> But that's not kingdom-mindedness. Okay, someone's nicked your seat. What does God say? Bless those who persecute you. Nicking your seat isn't persecution, by the way. <laughs> I still had a very decent seat. Um, but, you know, but that's kingdom-mindedness. You know, someone's done you wrong. Do you seek revenge or do you seek to bless them? Because the blessing will bring you life. Revenge will bring you death. There's a song uh, I'm reminded of, and it says, oh, I'm going to get the lyrics up, because it's brilliant. We did think about singing it, but uh, 
Sorry, give me one moment. It says, there's a table that you've prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. Talking about Psalm 23. It's your body and your blood you shed for me. This is how I fight my battles. There's a table that you've prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. It's your body and your blood you shed for me. This is how I fight my battles. It's kingdom thinking. It's kingdom mindedness. Because how do you fight your battles? Go on. Come on. No, I sit and I eat. That's how you fight? Yeah. Because it says, I believe you've overcome and I will lift my song of praise for what you've done. You know, when God sent people into battle, who did he send first? He'd send the musicians. And I'm sure at times they were like, I'm sure this is not right. You know, I've got my flute or whatever it might be. I'd prefer to have a sword and a shield. But God sent the musicians. This is how I fight my battles. We need to be kingdom-minded, heavenly-minded. It was interesting at the beginning of the conference that we were, we were teaching, and, and Pierre said something that really hit me, and he said, it's great having these guys here. We're very thankful for everything they've done, because basically we pay for everything. And he said, I really would like it next year if we could pay for this. Now, you're talking like, it's about one and a half thousand pounds for the conference. But for people who are just about getting food on the table, and you think, how can people who are just about getting food on the table pay for that? That's like a, a year's salary, maybe. Three years' salary. It depends where you're from. <laughs> but, you know, for some of them, that's, that's humongous. Imagine that. If I said to you, okay, we're going to do a conference, and I need you guys to raise, let's say, 150,000, just amongst us, yeah? Can we do that? You, and maybe that's the equivalent. I don't know. But the trouble is, we can look to something to be our saviour and our provision and our supplier instead of God. And if you think about the kingdom of God, you think, why not? Why can they not do it? And I don't see a reason anywhere in Scripture to give them a reason not to. And I, if you think about testimonies you heard again and again, I can't think of a reason why. I remember there's one that Tano shared a few weeks ago, and it's from a book called Dirty Glory, of the girl, a girl who was staying in an apartment, and basically money would appear in her cleaning closet. Not just like tenors and stuff. At one point, I think there was like 15,000 pounds. Just appeared. One day they were sitting there in the kitchen, they heard flutters coming from the cupboard, and they opened it, and there was money there. You know, God can do amazing things. God can bring birds to feed you. God can take oil that never runs out. God is the God of the impossible. And so we need to challenge our thinking to not put the restrictions of worldly thinking upon an incredible God who is without end. We need to be heavenly minded. God is calling us into this. I was thinking of this scripture. It's, it's easier for a cow to go through the eye of a needle 
I didn't, I didn't see a camel this time. I've seen a camel in India. But you know, it says in the scripture, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the thing is, though, God is inviting us into his kingdom, into this transformed place, this transformed way of thinking. But the trouble is, one of the reasons we don't enter into this is because we trust so much in ourselves or in others that we never enter in. And God is saying, will you trust me and not yourself? Will you look at my abundance and not your provision? Will you look at my spirit and not your abilities? And it's, it's a constant challenge for me, you know, because it's so easy to trust yourself. It's, it feels safer to trust yourself. Maybe some of you are thinking, no, it doesn't, not for me. But the reason, and this is the trouble for a rich man, someone who, if you've got ability, if you've got provision, you can just trust that instead of trusting in God. And it's interesting, you know, I think one of the reasons I always think about this thing going through the eye of a needle and sometimes the rich man coming, but he's carrying so much stuff. And the question is, are you carrying too much weight now, I weighed myself this morning and I'm carrying too much weight and I blame all the curry that I ate in India. You know, because when you carry too much weight, it inhibits us to run faster. And it reminded me of the hymn that says, Are you weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? And often we don't move into the things of God because there's so much other stuff we're carrying, if you think about the parable of the sower, the, the, the seed that falls into the ground and grows, but then is choked by the cares of the world. And this is the position that we are in. And there's, you can sometimes look at these guys in India and you think, wow, they're really going for it. And I believe part of that is because they're not choked by all the cares of the world, mainly because they don't have them. They don't have the option. It's just not an option. It's like, it's God or nothing, God or death. For us, we don't have that as much. It's God or very comfortable life, maybe. And the reason for that, we don't enter into the fullness of God. And not that we have to say, I need to make my life really painful just so I can experience more of God. But it's hard to trust God when you can trust yourself, when you can trust your credit card or you can trust your friends or whatever else it might be, the government, when you've, all that is stripped away, you can only trust God. And so our, our encouragement is to travel light. And this is um, a, a port, I guess you call it, where we'd go and get a taxi across the river, part of the travelling. And when you get in a taxi, uh, they look a bit like this. So there's everyone's... You, when you're travelling like that, you travel light. Now, when we go, we take backpacks. Because if you're going on holiday and you've got your nice designer suitcase that you pull along on wheels, it's very hard when all the roads are bobbly and then you've got to jump over three boats to get to that boat. And then one starts moving and you're like this a bit and you're thinking, please don't fall in. Um, but you know, you've got to travel light because you've got to be on your, you've got to be able to jump, you've got to be able to move. And if we're cumbered with a load of care, when God says go, you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. And the trouble is, I think about the story of the Good Samaritan. 
And one of the people who ignored the man who was beaten by the side of the road was the priest who was so fixated on his religious duties that he didn't have capacity to stop and help the person. And there's a risk that we can be like that. We're so transfixed upon doing religious observances and all the things that we do that we don't have space to move according to how the Spirit of God will lead us. So the question is, what about you? Now, my heart for next year is to take a small team from here to India. I know some people have already said it. They'd like to go. But maybe God will take you out of your comfort. Maybe it's something to pray about. It doesn't have to be India. I think Pete's going Greece. It doesn't have to be Greece. It can be somewhere completely different. It can be Lidl. It could be the school gate. It could be Sutcliffe Park. It could be your street. The thing is, though, when we think about the call of God, it's a mindset. God is saying, will you be heavenly minded? Will you see your identity and your responsibility in the light of what I've done in you and what I'm calling you to? Or are you just going to basically be like everyone else? And that's the challenge. There's a call to action. Our mindset leads to action. And so I, I really just want to leave that with you, that you think and say, God, what have you got for me? And maybe you've never even thought about any of this before, even about God. And maybe, hopefully today, you can feel the call of God to say, yeah, God, I'm going to follow you. And the simple thing is just to say, God, where do you want me to go? And it might not be India. It might be next door. It might be to go and speak to your neighbour. Who knows what it might be, but it's the mindset and the heart that's willing to say yes to God to go. And then to actually do it. Because sometimes we come and we can feel, you know, the, I fully believe this is true, God. I fully understand this scripture that you've told me to go and then we don't do anything about it. And so my challenge is to actually put legs on it and do something. And so, amen. Thank you. Um, could the band come up and we'll sing a song? Uh, just to have some time to respond. Um, please go and pick up your children from the kids' work group. Um, yeah, let's spend some time praying.